Church, I would like to invite all of you to please stand on your feet as we honor the Word of God. So the passage for today's sermon is taken from Luke 15, verse 1 to 7. Let us read together in a count of three. One, two, three. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country, and go after the one that is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. Hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, joining me this afternoon. You can take a seat. I appreciate everybody standing while we read the word of the Lord there. Um, it's great. It's great to be here. So hello to all of you. Hello to everybody who is watching at home or uh, on your phone somewhere else. Um, thanks, for, uh, thanks for tuning in. I was thinking about, actually, this is my first time experiencing the, the new liturgy, liturgy that you guys are, are doing. And I have to say that I really enjoyed that. Um, and we'll continue to reflect on that. I was reflecting on when I came last, which was, I think, the week before you were starting the new liturgy. Or it was very soon rolling into um, to it. And I was thinking about it, and I just got out of the Northern Beaches lockdown. It was, it was February last year. I just got out of Northern Beaches lockdown, which is just crazy to think about now. Like we had 60 cases or something, and we were not allowed to have Christmas. Okay, fair enough. And now look at us uh, now. Uh, so I've just been released, and I, and I preached a message then. And we were looking forward to just a, a COVID-free 2021, and uh, how young and naive we were. Um, and here we are in, in 2022, and it's just such a privilege that I would be invited back uh, to, to share with you. My family send their apologies. We, they really would have loved to have come. Um, we just kind of have been laying low just a little bit with everything that's been going on. But we have a real soft spot for this church and for the community of faith that, that gathered gather here together. Um, in fact, my son Otis, he was asking recently, he didn't know I was coming, and he was asking recently, hey, when can we go to that place where everybody looks different and we eat, and we eat food? And me and Tanya are thinking, what are you talking about? And then we finally pieced together, he was talking about Rock Sydney. Um, so he has a real soft spot for you all as well. Um, so praise God for, for all of you. Um, if you haven't met me, as, as Josh was kind of introducing, uh, my name's Jonathan. I'm married to Tani, who some of us um, have met here, and we have three children, and I'm still getting used to saying that because the third one is a pretty new addition. Um, he's, he's four months old. His name's Sullivan, another boy. Um, so, yeah, so, so I have three children. Lucia is my eldest. She's seven years old. Otis, he actually just turned four on Thursday, just passed, and then uh, Sullivan, he's four months old. Uh, and the eldest, they're getting to this age now where they really are interested in Lego. Uh, and so we've gone from having no Lego in our house to lots of Lego in our house in a really short period of time. My, my daughter has discovered Lego Masters, so she's binging that uh, at home while we're spending some time at home. And I've been able to manage working from home. I've been able to manage lockdowns. I've been able to manage homeschooling. 
but I'm really struggling to manage having Lego all through my house, tripping on pieces, losing pieces. Um, it is something that I'm just finding very difficult to handle. So if you are thinking of me and my family, uh, please pray for me and please pray uh, that I will be able to handle the Lego situation better than I, I currently am. Um, but in November, so just, just the November past when, when Pastor uh, Yoshi, I, I'm used to saying Yosiah, but when, when Pastor Yoshi asked me to come and speak, I started reflecting on, hey, what, what should I share about? What should I bring? What message should I bring uh, this afternoon? And originally I was going a really different direction. I, I had written a message on a doubt, and I think given the circumstances that we find ourselves in at the moment, um, I think that was kind of appropriately appropriate, but I kept getting drawn back into this parable in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep. And arguably it's one of the most famous parables that Jesus told. I think, um, you know, you, you probably could argue the, great, uh, the, the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son, which is really close to this one, and there's probably some others. Um, but I think this is one of the most famous. And, and that's a good thing because you're going to be familiar with it. But it also means you've probably heard some really amazing messages based out of this passage. Um, maybe your pastor himself has, has preached some messages from this parable. But it's very famous, so lots of people preach on it. So no pressure, right? I picked something that you probably have heard a number of times before, but that's okay. Um, why don't we start in prayer? I'm just going to pray um, for, for, the, for the sermon, and uh, we'll see where the Holy Spirit takes us. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. Lord, we just ask that we would have ears to hear uh, from your word this afternoon. Lord, um, thank you for the opportunity together. Lord, with so many things to be uh, fearful about, Father, help us to have faith and to gather intentionally around your word. Um, Lord, let us have ears to hear and let us have mouths to share uh, with those around us as we go out of this place uh, later tonight. Amen. All right, so when you think about sheep and you think about them in the context of the Bible, there's some fundamentals that I just want to get out of, out of the way straight up the bat. All right, so straight, straight off, let's hit these things. If you are taking notes, you don't have to write these ones down. I mean, you can, but they're probably pretty standard, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that these are groundbreaking notes. But the first one I wanted to say is, sheep are probably one of the most common images used in the Bible to represent the people of God. So if, if Christianity or if Christians were going to be a sporting team, our mascot is going to be a sheep. You know, the guy doing backflips every time we score a point, it's a dressed up sheep with our jersey on. That, that, the, the image of a sheep is what is most commonly used to, to represent the people of God. And so the second point is just like a sheep, or, or just like a sheep, the reason that might be is because the Christian is prone to two different things. There's two things that Christians so often find themselves prone to, and that is weaknesses and it's wandering. Just like sheep, we are prone to have weaknesses. A sheep is not a very intimidating animal. Right? It is weak. And just like sheep, we are prone to wandering off. Just like a sheep that wander off and fall down into a ditch, the Christian is prone to wandering. So just like sheep, the third point is, we are in desperate need of a shepherd, someone to protect us, someone to save us. We all need Christ. And so those three points, that the most common image of the people of God in the Bible is a sheep that just like sheep, we're prone to weakness and, and wandering, and we need a shepherd. I just wanted to put them out there. It's kind of like some foundations. Let's, let's think about those as we, as we go into the, the rest of this parable. But this parable it was literally the first thing that I ever tried to teach in a Sunday school class.
class. Like when I was asked as like a 15, 16 year old to go and attend, we'd call it junior church, but it was essentially Sunday school. I was asked, hey, can you, can you teach a little message? And it was my first time. I was super excited. And let me just say, it did not go well. It was absolutely terrible. And if you want to be a Bible teacher, if you're here or you're watching at home and you want to, you want to teach the Bible, you want to be someone who is, is proficient at, at, at teaching other people what the Bible has to say and what, what, what the message is from the Word of God, can I, give you, um, can I give you a suggestion? Try teaching children. And that's not to say that it's because it's easier. It's because it's way harder. Maybe you could think about... Um, volunteering in your, in your children's ministry here, or you could think about maybe um, teaching scripture in school if, you, if you're that way inclined. There's some opportunities for you, but it's not because it's easier. It's because it's way harder, because there is nothing as humbling as trying to teach a parable to kids and then just having it completely derailed by questions that have nothing to do with what you're, what you're trying to talk about. Because little kids will make you, they're going to force you to make the main point the main point. And if you don't, they're taking you somewhere else. Um, and that's, that was my experience. I was trying to teach a, a group of primary school kids, trying to teach them this parable, the lost sheep. And I was getting asked all sorts of questions like, hey, where did the sheep go? And I'm like, well, they, they, they got lost in the country. Which country? No, not that sort of a country, like the countryside. New Zealand is a country. Well, yeah, yeah it is. Um, how did the sheep get to New Zealand? Like the sheep did not go to New Zealand. Aren't there any sheep in New Zealand? No, there's, th th there are sheep in New Zealand. My mum says there's lots of sheep in New Zealand. And, and we're completely derailed at this point. We're not talking about the parable of the lost sheep, and we're talking about why there are sheep in New Zealand. And it did not go well. So you, you can imagine that tonight, hey, I'm really thankful, but hey, one, there's less people in the room, so you're going to ask less questions. And it's really unlikely you're going to yell questions at me anyway. And even if you do yell, me at a, question, yell a question out at me, it's going to be related. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of I'm thankful for that. But I do have some flashbacks um, and feel a bit nervous touching this parable. But let's look at it. Let's look at this passage. Um, we're going to just walk through verse by verse. So feel free to have your Bible or your phone open uh, to Luke chapter 15. And let's look at it together. So the first verse, verse, chap verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. In chapter 14, if you, if you go back and look at the context later, there's this large group gathering around Christ. We see that the, the Pharisees have been traveling with him. It's, it's a diverse crowd. The Pharisees have been following him. They're trying to trip him up. And here we have tax collectors and sinners, and they're pushing up really close to Christ to try and hear from him. And in this great crowd, there would have been people kind of somewhere in between. Not exactly a Pharisee in the way that they're following the law, and not exactly a tax collector or a sinner, you know, just regular people that are following along, somewhere in between. But all of them, the commonality is all of them had come to hear Christ. All of them wanted to hear what he had to say. And through the hearing of Christ, the kingdom of God is being established. The kingdom of God is at work. It is being established on earth through the hearing of what Christ is saying. And that's what happened to us, isn't it? When you became a Christian, you heard Christ, maybe for the first time. We, we heard him. Um, and maybe you don't have a real distinct moment that you can point at and you say, hey, that was the moment that I heard Christ. Um, you know, or, or maybe you do. Maybe you are that person that has a really distinct moment. I know my wife is that type of person. She, um, she was invited to a church service, um, and she walked in not a Christian. She didn't, hadn't even really been in a church before. She didn't even know what to expect. And she 
went into a church service, heard a gospel presentation, and walked out a Christian. A really distinct moment. So you might be that person that has a, someone invited you to church or a small group, and you know that that was the point that you heard Christ. Or maybe you're a little bit more like me, and you went to church every Sunday, sometimes twice. Actually, in my case, every Sunday, twice at church, morning service, evening service. And I can't really remember a specific time where I will say, hey, that's when I became a Christian. But even still, I have these distinct moments that I can point at and I say, you know what? When that, God was doing something in my life then and I heard Christ, I, I heard from him and something changed for me. Verse 1 says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And verse 2 it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Have you ever caught yourself grumbling? Or other, other translations, I think NIV will say muttering. Have you ever done that? You know, it's like when you feel so strongly about something on the inside that somehow, even though you don't want it to, it kind of just squeezes its way out and it's on the outside. And you don't necessarily, maybe it's involuntary, um, but it, you feel so strongly about it, it's like your mouth is moving before your brain's even thinking about it. I find myself doing that. Sometimes I feel so strongly, it just kind of comes out like, oops, probably shouldn't say that. Um, and that's the Pharisees. They don't like that Christ is being friendly with sinners. They, they, they feel so strongly about what he is doing and it's coming out and they are grumbling and they are muttering. And when we read this word sinners in the text, it probably means something or it does mean something different to what we would normally think of when we hear the word sinners. Because in a kind of modern context as Christians, we would confess, and we did tonight, that we are all sinners. We know Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that to be true. But we, when we read the word sinners in this context, we have to think of something a little bit different. Because it doesn't mean everyone who wasn't a Pharisee. It doesn't mean we have the Pharisees and then we have everybody else, the sinners. That's not what the word sinners means here. Sinners means something much more specific. It, it, it has a very much more specific meaning. It's referring to people that actively participated in their sin, who were known for their sin in a very public way. You can think of it like vocational sinners or, or sinners that were profiting. They were known by their sin. Everybody in the community knew what they were doing. In some ways, they may have even been proud of it. We're talking about thieves. We're talking about prostitutes. We're talking about extortioners. We're talking about tax collectors. When we read the word sinners, we're talking about public sinners. And so let's think about this concept of tax collectors for a minute. And most of us, if you have any kind of church background, will know um, kind of the, the deal with tax collectors. They were, they, were doing, they were taking more money than they were entitled to, which is true. And that's kind of the Sunday school version of it. It's kind of the nice toned down version of it. Um, we read later in the book of, of Luke, um, of the story of Zacchaeus, and we know he's a short little man. He's so short that he wants to see Jesus, and he can't, so he climbs up a tree. It's really cute. You know, they, they wrote a song about it. Um, I, I won't sing it because it, it will get stuck in your head, but it's about Zacchaeus. It was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And it's cute, right? We think about it, and, and it, it is a story that we tell in Sunday school. But can you imagine for a moment that Australia has been invaded by a brutal empire? Hard to imagine, but let's pretend. We've, we've been invaded. And we have had friends and family who have been executed for trying to resist them. Maybe we've been placed in some sort of lockdown, not to keep us safe from, for health reasons, but in order to control us and to suppress us and to keep us um, down. 
And then here comes your neighbor, and he's knocking on your door, and he's demanding up to 90% of your income for his own profit and to fund the people that have invaded Australia and that are suppressing us, this brutal empire that we've lost loved ones to. We have to be fair and not pretend that we would hate tax collectors too. We would think they are absolute scum because of the situation that we find ourselves in and how they are taking advantage of it. We would hate them. And so there are these spectrum of people that are gathering around Jesus in, in, this, in this passage. On one end, you have the Pharisees who are known for their active participation in keeping the law. That they're, actively, that they're publicly known for the, as the ones that are keeping the law. And then extra rules that they're just making up. Right? That's how devout they were. Not only will we keep the law, let's make extra layers of law so that, and we'll keep that. And that's how strongly we will be in, in, in terms of our active participation in keeping the law. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, these people that are gathering around close to Christ. You have the sinners and the tax collectors who are known for their active and, and uh, intentional participation in their sin. The Pharisees are bothered because Jesus is hanging out at the wrong end, right? You have the Pharisees, and you have the sinners and the tax collectors, and Christ is, in, is hanging out and eating and spending time with the people at the wrong end. You're going to eat with those guys? You're going to spend time with those guys, Jesus? Like, we hate those guys. Everybody hates those guys. Verse 3 says, So, they, so he told them this parable. All right, so we, we're at the parable. And this parable is actually one of three um, that are all in this same context, the, the, the muttering Pharisees and the gathering sinners. And the first parable is going to be about a lost sheep. The second parable, it's going to be about a lost coin. And the third is about a lost son. It's like a trilogy. It's a trilogy of parables. And if trilogies are anything like movies, then the second one is going to be the best. You know, Back to the Future 2, Terminator 2, Toy Story 2. Hey, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, come on, it's the best one. The second one is always the best one. Um, so perhaps I made a mistake, right? Like we're doing the first parable in the trilogy. Probably, maybe we could switch to the second one and see if we notice. I'm sure you would. Um, or maybe someone can just follow up with the lost coin, because maybe it's the better one. Um, but we're, anyway, we're in the first one. So um, let's read it. It's, it's verse 4. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So I think we can all identify, we all have experienced that tension that you feel when you've lost something. But how much you worry about the thing that you've lost, it really depends on how valuable it is, doesn't it? If you lost something that's kind of trivial, you probably don't spend much time thinking about it. Um, but if it's something more valuable, you do. Uh, a little while ago, my wife Tani, she did that trick where you leave your wallet on the top of the car and then you drive away um, and lose your wallet. And so uh, I went searching for it and I went back to the car park where she was juggling all the kids and had, had put the wallet up there, or, or so she thinks. Um, I, I looked around the car park, I, um, I retraced her steps, I kind of followed the same route home, uh, but I haven't found it. And I'd just like to point out that I have stopped looking for it. This was quite a while ago now, and I'm not still looking for her wallet. On the way home, I will not be kind of half looking out the window seeing if I can spot her wallet. It is lost, and we have accepted it, and, 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 it's, and it's gone. Um, but let's imagine something a bit more hypothetical for a second. Let, let's, let's imagine that I am having a picnic, 
and have invited all my extended family to come uh, to this picnic in a national park. And my sisters are there with, her ki with their kids, and I'm there with my kids, and we're having a great time. But through the course of the picnic, we realize that one of our children has gone missing. One of our kids has wandered off. How would we react? How would we respond to that situation? Because I don't think anybody notices or hears that a child has gone missing and then goes, well, you know what, we've still got all these other kids. Like, that's fine. We've, we've still got enough of them. Nobody responds that way. Um, that, that, would not, that would not be what we do. We'd be yelling, we would be searching, we would be running around. We would leave the other kids with, with an adult and we would go and search for the child that is lost. And I'm certain that we would continue and continue and continue to search for that child until we found it. And thankfully, this is hypothetical, right? Um, I don't want anyone coming up saying, John, I can't believe you lost a child in the National Park. I didn't. Um, and, and thankfully, I've not experienced anything uh, even remotely like that. I don't have any lost my kid in the shopping center stories to tell, and I'm really thankful for that because it absolutely terrifies me. Like, just even the thought of it makes me feel a bit sick. Um, the closest I've come is, is Otis, my son. He um, is at an age where he really likes to hide in our wardrobes, and he's getting very good at it. Because you can yell and call out and try and bribe him with chocolate, and he will not make a sound because he thinks it's absolutely hilarious that you have no idea where he is. And he did this trick one day um, when I accidentally left our front door open. Um, so I'd left the front door of the house open, and there's that moment where your heart ramps up really, really fast because you're like, where is he? Did he leave? And I'm, um, it was just me and him home, and I'm running around the house going, Otis, where are you, man? If you're in the house, you need to tell me. And I'm just about to run out the front door because I'm thinking, this kid's like gone off to the park or something by himself, when I remember, oh, the wardrobe. And that sense of relief that you get um, as, as I slide the wardrobe open and you hear his little giggle because he thinks it's so funny. You know, how relieved I feel to have found him, quickly followed by Otis. When I call your name, you need to respond to me, like quickly followed by frustration. Um, but you know, that, that's the closest I, I've got. Let's, um, let's read verse 4 again. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So remember again that the reason that Jesus is telling this parable. The Pharisees are grumbling that he's making friends with sinners, that he's eating with them, that he's spending time with them. And Jesus really has an issue too in this parable, in this story. The Pharisees, they don't share the tension that he has that something is wrong. They have no concern or compassion for sinners who are lost to return to the people of God. Because the Pharisees believed that God's desire for them was separation and ritual purity. So they, they, they have, um, and in fact, actually, when you, when, you, when you read about it, the, the name Pharisee, it literally means someone who is separated. So their value, or your value as a, as a Pharisee, is really tied up in this notion that you can follow the law more closely and with higher standards than anybody else, and as a result, your separation from other people is what makes you important and was what makes you valuable uh, to God. So that's their sense of worth. The attitude that the Pharisees had, and honestly, if, I, if I'm honest with you tonight, um, it's an attitude that I can so easily fall into, was that the lost sheep in this parable, it should have just done better. It's a bad sheep. It didn't do what it was supposed to do. Not us. We stayed with the herd. We stayed. 
the, the lost sheep should have done better. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing that that's how they felt, hearing their muttering, he declares to everybody that, the, that his purpose, that his goal is not to increase the separation between God and man, far, from, far the opposite. It's to, bring, um, it's to bring people, to pursue them, to recover those um, that are lost and bring them back to the people of God. That all of God's sheep are valuable, all of God's sheep are valuable, and all of God's sheep belong to him. And that's what he declares. In verse 5 we read, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So, come back to me, um, to this hypothetical story that I was telling you about uh, a picnic in a national park and one of our kids has is, is gone missing. Can you imagine the panic that's setting in uh, after an hour goes past and we haven't found this, this kid? Uh, we haven't found, pretend it's Otis, we haven't found Otis. Two hours goes past, we haven't found Otis. It's half a day has gone past and we haven't found him yet. And, you know, my son is a pretty clever little guy. Um, he's, he's pretty smart, but he's not Bear grills, right? He's not made for wandering around in the bush by himself. If we don't find him, uh, things are going to be bad. This is not a, a good situation. Can you imagine the overwhelming joy that I would feel uh, maybe spotting him, coming around a corner over some rocks or whatever, and there he is, and I see him, the cheer that would go up, the sense of relief. Hey, my boy, I've got you. I've found you, Otis. It doesn't matter at that point why he's wandered away. What ma matters to me is the value of what's been lost and the importance that it's found again. That's what's truly important in that moment. And we read this parable and we think about sheep, and we know it's not about sheep. You know, we know this parable is about people, but I don't always connect with it in a real personal way. I don't always think that Jesus is talking about people that I know and people that you know. Because we are surrounded by people that are wandering. We all know loads of people that are wandering, trying to find value, trying to find meaning in places where it just does not exist and it is not there. But the good news today that we, can, that we know, that we can hold on to, is that Jesus pursues those that are lost those that are isolated, those that are alone, those who might feel trapped by their sin, Christ pursues them. Jesus rescues lost people. Verse 5 again, it says, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, in, in my hypothetical, do you think that after having found Otis and rejoice, that I would just let him kind of dawdle along behind me as we head back to the picnic? Come on, Otis. Hey, keep up. Oop, don't fall down in there. Like, and just let him kind of wander and you know, do whatever he wants to do behind me as we go back. No way. I'm picking him up. I'm putting him on my shoulders or holding him in my arms and saying, come on, mate, we're going back to mum. He is in my arms. And it's exactly the same in this parable. He joyfully, it says, puts him on his shoulders. He protects the sheep from harm on their journey back. The, the sheep is safe now and will continue to be safe. And I've bounced between, hey, talking about sheep and talking about my son, and maybe that's because the third parable is about, is about sons. Um, but um, I've bounced between those. Because Otis, let's go thinking about Otis again. He's at an age where, hey, he really likes to run. So we'll go for a walk to the shops, and he just wants to run and you know, run along the path. And Between my house and where the shops are, there's a lot of busy roads. And so because I love um, Otis, I'll ask him to hold my hand as we come up on the road. And I'll explain to him, hey, that roads are busy, and cars might not be able to see you, and you know, try and teach him about how crossing a road safely. But I have an expectation of Otis that he's going to obey me, and that he's going to hold my, my hand and trust me as we cross the road. 
And though, although I've told Otis, hey, you need to hold my hand, it's far more important that I'm holding on to Otis's hand than it is that he's holding on to mine. Because he could lose his grip. He could get distracted by a puppy or something crossing the road and, and let go. But I'm not let going on of him. I won't lose my grip on him. It's my hand that's holding him safe. And when God rescues us, when God rescues you, he doesn't turn around and say, okay, I've done my part now, I rescued you, and now you're on your own. Now you figure this out. Our God is not doing that. He's holding on to us. And because of that, because of that, he holds on to you. You can't have any pride in your, in your salvation because he found you while you were lost. And you, can't, and you don't need to have any panic because he's holding on to you and he's protecting you. And that's what's such great news about the gospel, is it destroys any pride that we can have about our salvation, because we were lost, and it destroys any panic that we should have because he is holding us and protecting us. We are found, we are carried, we are rejoiced over. Verse 6 says, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. So some of us will really naturally identify with the lost sheep in this parable. When we read this um, together, you're really just zeroing in on the lost, on the lost sheep. Because you, you know firsthand that, that Christ pursues those that are lost. You can identify with that. You could point at the time that Christ found you and you heard him. You know when it is in your life. But not all of us have, a, have such an easy identification with the lost sheep. And you feel the Pharisees here in this parable... You're getting a little agitated. There were 99 sheep who didn't wander off, who stayed in the correct place, who ate the correct food, who said the correct things, who worked the correct way, and those sheep are not being celebrated. In this spectrum of people that are gathered around Jesus that day, I have to say, look, I've spent a lot of time standing with the Pharisees. And if you have as well, here's the really hard part to try and swallow. That Jesus just really didn't have many great things to say about Pharisees. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them the blind leading the blind. And in verse 7, which we're about to read, Christ says something that is just going to completely outrage them. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you can kind of imagine these men tearing their clothes and spitting on the ground and thinking like, we have to put a stop to this teacher. We have to, we have to kill this teacher because of what he's saying. So let's read it. It's verse 7. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If you want to understand why the Pharisees hated Jesus, this is really it. This is, this is the reason. Jesus just said that there will be more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over all their ritual purity, all their righteous acts, all their work, all their ability to follow the law, all their financial giving, all their self-control, all their effort, all of it, all the things that they're doing. God rejoices more in one sinner who repents than all the righteousness of the Pharisees. And I have to ask myself, when I'm confronted with this parable, and I'll ask you as well, how do we feel about verse 7? What does it make us think? How, how, what's our reaction to verse 7? If we reflect on this parable and we're really honest with ourselves, who do you identify most with? Do you see yourself as the lost sheep who God is 
joyfully rescuing and returning to the people of God? Or do we, or do I, identify more easily with the 99 who feel a little bit shortchanged at what's happened? I'll give you some context to my background, uh, and some of you already know. But I grew up in, in church. My dad is a pastor, um, still is a pastor, um, and some of you know him. But um, I'm sure there are people here with you know, similar kind of growing up in church backgrounds and can relate to the challenges that are faced in growing up in that kind of environment, growing up as a church kid. It creates this real pull towards self-righteousness because your value can so easily, because of your environment, get wrapped up in the notion of what you do, or more accurately, probably what you don't do. Your separateness, very similar to a Pharisee, right? What you do do, turn up at church and tithe and all the things that you've taught to do, and what you aren't doing, that maybe peers and friends are doing, and your separateness sometimes can really easily be identified as, that's why I'm valuable, because of what I do. And it's really easy for me to identify with the first group in all of these, in the, in the trilogy of parables that we have here, with the 99 sheep who didn't want wander, with the nine coins who were not lost, with the older brother who didn't leave. My natural pull is towards justice, what I do. One sheep wandered, wandered off. One coin fell. The younger brother spent his inheritance. Shouldn't there be consequences? Shouldn't, shouldn't my actions, um, the good decisions that I've made in life, shouldn't those decisions that have cost me something, shouldn't they be rewarded? Why so much attention for the lost sheep and not for me? And, and, and being honest, right, I've always related to the older brother, you know, skipping to that third parable in the prodigal son, Especially when the father, and if you've, got, if you've got it open, you can see it in verse 29. Especially when, the, the, when he says to his father, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat, or young goat, that I might celebrate with my friends. And I've all so often felt in my heart, you know, that feels legitimate. He was there, and you didn't give him anything. It doesn't, it, it doesn't seem right. It's really similar. Um, the other one that stands out for me is, is in Matthew 20, and I haven't put these up, but Matthew 20. You know, it's the one about the master who hires people in the morning, and then he goes back and he hires people at midday, and then he goes back and he hires people right at the end of the day, and then it becomes time to pay them, and he pays them all the same. And I've always read that, or often read that, and thought, you know, that doesn't seem right. Something seems a bit back to front in what's going on there. It's a really transactional approach to God. Hey, I stayed with the herd, they didn't. I should benefit, and they shouldn't. And the danger is our relationship, it becomes completely disorientated and it becomes completely dysfunctional because we no longer value the things that God values. We don't rejoice when he rejoices. Remember verse 2? The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And if you're here and you really easily, you're on the other end of the spectrum, you really easily identify with the lost sheep. You feel like you've been wandering. You feel like you're far. You know what? There's great news for you. There's really good news for you. Jesus rejoices in finding those that are lost. He rejoices. Christ has come to bring you close. And that is the great news. But in this parable, if, if you're one of those, maybe like me, that identify more with the 99, naturally, this is Christ looking over the heads of the sinners and the tax collectors. Like, you can picture it. The sinners and the tax collectors have come up close, and the Pharisees are over there grumbling, and he's looking over the heads of the people that have come up close, and he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's saying, rejoice with me, like, in, rejoice in what I rejoice in, 
He's calling out to them. I wonder how many of those Pharisees heard him that day. How many of them realized that they'd spent their entire life trying to fulfill the requirements of the law, but had no desire for the things that God values? No rejoicing in a God who is now coming and bringing people back to the, to the people of God, pursuing the lost. And that, you know, a, a lot of my early Christian life, that was me. I placed up much higher value on measuring up, on my actions, on my ability to fulfill what was asked of me, than I did on grace. But that moment that the Holy Spirit kind of made that known to me, and I become aware of my own sin, when I heard Jesus in this parable for the first time, when I saw that, all of a sudden I first saw that I'm the lost sheep, that Christ is pursuing me in my sin, in my lostness, and that I needed to be found, and I needed to be rescued from my sin, from my pride. And praise God. He has, and he, has rejoiced, he rejoices over me and brings me into the people of God. Isaiah 53.6, not kind of out, out, out of our parable here, is a, is a uh, passage of scripture that is memorized by me and is very famous, not because I've spent a lot of time trying to memorize it, but because of a, a singer called Colin Buchanan. Um, and you may know it, it says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, and then he makes a whole bunch of sheep noises, which makes it a fun song for kids. But it is so true. A lot of these parables, when you read um, in, in, in the Gospels, a lot of the parables, they have a command attached to them. At the end of the parable, it states like, and now go and do likewise. Um, but this one doesn't have it. There's no go and do likewise. And I think it's because it's not focusing on the way we should live. It's not telling us how we should act out our Christian life. It's focusing on what God is like, what he values, what he rejoices over, what he celebrates. And that's what we need to hear in this parable as well. What does God value? This isn't about the actions of one sheep in 99 and trying to judge who deserves and who doesn't, who should get, who shouldn't, who did and who didn't do. This parable is all about grace and God's joy in extending it to us. It's focused on what God is like, what he values, what he celebrates. That he rejoices in one sinner who repents. Verse 7, just so I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I wonder how many of the Pharisees heard him that day. Come and rejoice with me, Pharisees. I am finding those that are lost. What are we here in this parable this afternoon? Do you hear the man who leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one? Can you hear that he's searching for the lost, that he's looking for them? Can you hear him rejoicing in finding you and bringing you into the people of God? Do you hear him rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over the 99? And my hope and my prayer for, for coming this afternoon and spending time and, and sharing this message with you is that we would be people that allows the Holy Spirit to work within our hearts, that all of us gathered here today would would be able to see and value and cherish grace the way that God values it and rejoice when, when he's at work in people's life. Because that sort of grace, it, is, it changes the way you see about see church. It's, it changes the way you see your neighbours, the people you work with. It changes um, the interactions that you have. It changes the way you feel about sin. It, it, it changes all of it. That we would rejoice in a God who, re, that we would rejoice in what God rejoices in over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen. Well, I'm going to end in, in prayer. Um, 
and pray for us, that that would be true for us. Um, so let's, let's bow our heads. Well, Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that parables in your word that we might just glance over and think of, yeah, that's a great story to tell children in, in Sunday school about God, can be so rich and full of um, insight into who you are, what you value, what the kingdom of God is like. Um, Father, I pray for everyone here that they would have ears to hear you, that, that this would be a moment among many where they hear your voice and are changed by the power of your Holy Spirit working within them. Lord, that we would be ones that not to see people uh, in their circumstance and kind of just try and stay separate from them, but to see that you're at work in the lives of many people around about us, bringing them, bringing the lost into the people of God. And Lord, that we would rejoice over that, that we would not focus on actions and righteousness that we try and pursue, but we would focus on the grace that you've shown us, a grace that we could never earn, a, 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 a gospel that destroys all pride that we could have in, in being a follower of Christ and destroys all panic that we should have about being able to follow you wholeheartedly because you're holding us and you're bringing us back to the people of God. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord. I said it would be a blessing to us and blessing to those that we share it with. Uh, amen.